Hammer Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor Brian Cox will join us to discuss the of the universe. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. the Grok's Science Show. Well, the universe is a fascinating place. Just staring up at the night sky can cause one to wonder, where did it all come from? How much of it is there? And how would it all end? Well, joining us today to explore some of these questions is Professor Brian Cox. Professor Cox is a professor at the University of Manchester whose work in particle physics is world-renowned. Author of numerous scientific and popular works on the subject, he's also the uh, presenter of Wonders of the Solar System and Wonders of the Universe, the latter of which has an eponymous book companion co-authored with Andrew Cohen. And Professor Cox, we want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, certainly our pleasure, and uh, this is really a, a great collection of uh, both books and TV shows that you've produced, uh, exploring sort of the amazing features of our of our universe. The previous series that had aired focused on the solar system, and now you're uh, in the new series uh, exploring the universe. is more of a challenge to go to the much broader realms of the entire universe. Yeah, I mean, certainly in choosing locations, because when you're making a television show, of course, you've got to stand somewhere and talk about something. And in the solar system show, uh, if we were talking about the, the volcanoes on Jupiter's moon Io, for example, then we could go to a volcano on Earth and use that to, to illustrate what we wanted to say. But with, with the universe, of course, you're talking about black holes, or you're talking about Einstein's theory of gravity, general relativity, or thermodynamics, as we do in one of the programs, then it's a, a much more challenging to decide what you're going to do. You know, what, what, how are you going to illustrate these concepts? Um, so, but I, I think we, uh, we, we came up with some interesting solutions, I think. Yeah, I mean, one um, example that I think um, worked well was um, we wanted to talk about, um, in physics terms, the second law of thermodynamics. So in everybody else's terms, why things tend to disorder, why things tend to fall to bits. Um, that, that's the way the universe behaves. It's a fundamental law of physics. And um, we found a, an abandoned diamond mining town in Namibia, in, in southern Africa, which had been, it had been left to the desert winds for 50 years, basically. The diamonds had run out. And so as a backdrop, it's beautiful because it shows you that the, this sense of decay and the sense that if you don't do anything, then things crumble back into dust again. And also we could use the sand to illustrate um, the concept of entropy, which is one of the, these concepts that when I, what you find when you teach undergraduate physicists um, uh, about entropy, then they get confused. So it's a challenge to talk about that. It's essentially just the, the statement that uh, it's statistically more probable to, to end up with a disordered mess than it is to end up with something that's very highly ordered. And uh, we did that with a sand castle and a pile of sand in front of these decaying buildings in Namibia. 
illustrate that this is the general progress of the universe is towards greater disorder? Yeah, I mean, our current best theory of the uh, fate of the universe is that it's going to expand forever. In, in fact, it's accelerating in its expansion, which is one of the great mysteries in physics at the moment. Um, so that seems to imply that it's just going to carry on expanding. The space between the galaxies will get larger. Eventually, the, no new stars will form. And eventually, in, in a ridiculous amount of time, uh, 10 to the power of 100 years is the best estimate, which is a one with a 100 zeros after it. So that's a very long time period. And even the black holes will, we think, evaporate away. And so you're left with a universe which is a sea of radiation at the same temperature, which is quite a miserable thing to say. It's called the heat death of the universe. And that appears to be, uh, at the moment, the, the most likely uh, fate of our universe. A long time in the future, though. Hmm. Wasn't there some debate about whether the uh, universe was so-called open or, or closed? Yeah, um, it's been. I mean, the, the you know one of the other options is that the, there would have been enough matter in the universe to slow down the expansion, and uh, just by the force of gravity, so it, all, all the matter attracts itself together, slows down the, the rate of expansion, and then it recollapses. So you could have imagined a big crunch. But in the last decade or so, I'd say, the, 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 obs the observational data has told us that it is currently accelerating in its expansion. I don't think that, that entirely rules out the fact that something could happen to stop that. But it, the, the most likely by far, given that that's right, is that it will expand forever. It's a bit uh, dour, I guess. <laughs> well, it's, it kind of isn't, because it's a very long time in the future. I mean, if you think the universe is only... Um, what, 13.7 billion years old, so that's a, a one with a nine knots after it. And so to get to, from one with nine knots to one with a hundred is quite a lot. Perhaps we uh, actually focus on um, how the universe actually began, uh, created the universe. Yeah, and that's, uh, we don't know the <laughs> correct answer to that. Um, what we do know very well is how it's evolved from... Um, well, certainly a billionth of a second after it began, because that's the, the regime that we probe at CERN in Geneva, the Large Hadron Collider, so we know that physics very well, and that's what we're working on at the moment. But actually, there are, there are sensible theories that make some predictions that can be tested, that we, we should go back to events that happened uh, 10 to the minus 36 seconds after the universe began. So that's a, that's a million, 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 millionths of a second after the universe began. Um, when we think it went through this very rapid phase of expansion called inflation. And that that leaves imprints on the light from the early universe that we can detect. And, uh, that, so, and those models fit the, the observational data at the moment. So I, I find it remarkable, actually, that we can, we can speak of those early times when it was an unimaginably violent place to be, you know, far hotter than the, than the center of a star. And the whole universe, and, and to, to be able to understand the physics there, I think it's one of the great triumphs of uh, 20th century physics. But when you ask, how did it begin? Don't know. <laughs> so where did it all come from? Is still something a bit of a mystery. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's, it's one of the great mysteries. It, um, that there are theories that uh, the universe could have been around forever, and, and what we see as the Big Bang was a, a, an event that happened um, two-hour piece of space-time, essentially. So they're, they're very speculative theories with, which require extra dimensions of space. Um, but they're all trying to... There's a great, huge question, which is we, we know that the universe began in a very ordered state, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier with this entropy and thermodynamics. So it, it began very ordered, and it's getting more disordered all the time. And you need an explanation for that. You can't just say, well, it must have just randomly got into a very ordered state. That mm -hmm. just doesn't work at all. So, so it's how did it get into a very ordered state at the start mm. so that it can 
go on this long, you know, the road from order to disorder, of which we're a temporary structure, by the way. I mean, we make this point in the film. You, you could say, well, it's a bit depressing. Why, why would you have to make a universe that has to fall to bits? But actually, the temporary structures on the way from order to disorder are things like stars and planets and galaxies and people. So it's a good thing that it does that, but we don't know how it got into that state in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, and considering that that's presumably a very high energy state, where did this all come from, this energy? Well, there is that, yeah. <laughs> and also, but that's actually less of a problem to, to many people than a, the, the order is the problem. Hmm. It's, it's such an unlikely state. The, the, the original state of the universe, but it needs an explanation. So the book goes into quite a bit of how we know all this, uh, in particular studying astronomy and, and light. How is it really that uh, we're able to draw this picture of, of the earlier universe? Well, as you said, that light is the only thing we have. We, we've not ventured beyond our solar system yet, so all we've got is the light from from stars, planets, uh, galaxies, and, and indeed the light from the, the moment that the universe became transparent which is about 400,000 years after the Big Bang. So we can collect that light and see what was going on at that point, literally see it. And so it is in the, the, the messages, as it were, from the early universe are carried in, in, the, in the light, and we detect it and we can analyze it. And it's, it's remarkable. It's called the cosmic microwave background, the earliest light, which is a very famous picture uh, was taken of it by the WMAP satellite. And it's provided an incredible amount of data. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable, actually. But one of the things is that this light has traveled across the entire history of the universe, pretty much, to get to us. So what, whatever happened to space and time, the way that it's stretched, the way that it's expanded, is also encoded into that light. So you're not only seeing the universe as it was 400,000 years after the Big Bang, you're seeing the, 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 it's kind of a 3D picture, in a way. You're seeing the, how the light traveled across the universe to reach us. So uh, the real precision measurements now of the age of the universe um, come from that data. Uh, how far away are, are we able to see? I mean, how much of the, how much actually of the uh, the universe have we seen? That's what? a really good question. That because yeah. the, the, the observable universe, mm -hmm. that's the universe, uh, a bubble around as a sphere, if you like, surrounding the Earth, uh, uh, and it's a sphere that light has been able to travel across since the universe began. So you might say, well, the universe is 13.7 billion years old, so we can see 13.7 billion light years away. That's actually not right, because the universe has been stretching since, uh, during the time that that light's been traveling to us. So actually the current figure is something like a diameter of something like 90 billion light years. Mm -hmm. the observable universe and that's like if you said uh, the things that emitted the most ancient light where are they now how far away are they from us now then you get that figure which is about 90 billion light years across but it's quite a confusing figure actually how did all this matter then coalesce from the initial state of, of very being ordered to becoming galaxies and the universe as we know it? That's, that, that's interesting. I mean, that's a really active area of research. And we do, it's not one of those areas that I just have to say, oh, I don't know. Um, we, we've got <laughs> some reasonably good theories. Um, it's thought that, um, that the current kind of standard model, I suppose, is that you had little, when the universe was very, very small, um, you had little, you always have fluctuations called quantum fluctuations in very small subatomic scale systems. And then the universe went through in a period of rapid expansion called inflation, magnified those little fluctuations um, into, into sort of areas that were slightly denser than other areas. Um, and it's thought that they seeded the, the galaxies or the clusters of the galaxies. And you can see those in this microwave background light. You can see the, the, that light came 
before there were any stars or galaxies. It was when the universe was a very hot, dense plasma that that light um, was released, and we capture that today. And you can see little fluctuations in it. And, and the, the magnitude of those, the, the, the temperature differences, as it were, in that light, um, tell you a lot about the early structure of the universe. So there are lots of issues with it. We, we think that there must have been some stuff, or that there is stuff now called dark matter around, which is um, matter that is not in the form that we're familiar with. So it's some other, probably some other kind of subatomic particle that we've never discovered, or we haven't discovered yet. And um, it's thought that that's necessary to allow the galaxies to form. So there's quite a lot of speculative physics in there, or exciting physics in there. But we have a rough, that rough story um, seems to be what most people accept at the moment. Uh, the book goes into great detail in, in terms of talking about gravity as really kind of being the big organizing force of, of the universe and um, really the yeah. thing that shapes the universe. Yeah, but also the weakest force, mm -hmm. which is another great mystery. It's, it's something like a million, 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 million <laughs> big numbers times weaker than the other three forces of nature. So um, that, that demands an explanation. It, it could be that's just the way it is. But it's, it, you can tell gravity's weak, by the way. If you're sat at a table now with a cup of coffee or something, you can pick it up and, and you can pick it up, even mm. though the planet, planet Earth, is trying to pull it back down and stop you doing that. <laughs> so it's an incredibly weak force. Um, but as you say, because it's the, the, the only force that acts over long distances and always adds up, so um, it's, it's always an attractive force, mm. then it dominates the universe on the, on the large scale. So um, it is the force that clusters the subatomic particles initially hit together, brings them together into gas clouds, and then collapses those into stars and planets. How close are we really to understanding uh, gravity on, on sort of the subatomic level? Well, um, our best, we, we have a great understanding of gravity. Our best understanding of gravity is Einstein's general theory of relativity, which was written down in 1915. Um, it's, it's a remarkable achievement. It survived every experimental test that we've been able to throw at it. There's a there's a, there's a stellar system called the, the double pulsar system, which is two neutron stars. So this is two stars uh, co collapsed to as massive as the sun collapse into something the size of a city. Both of them are spinning rapidly on their axis, hundreds of times a second. They're orbiting around each other very fast. So it's the most violent system you can imagine. And Einstein's theory predicts how the, the, the spin rate of those stars changes. They're little clocks, if you think you can think like that. They're orbiting around each other very fast. And because space and time is so curved, in Einstein's theory, by these massive dense objects. Uh, time passes at different rates, the clocks speed up and slow down. And Einstein's theory was able to predict that um, and get it right to, to the incredibly high precision. So the, I suppose the problem is we, we strongly suspect that we need a better theory of gravity because it doesn't, it, it's a different framework. It's not a quantum theory. All the other theories that we have of nature are quantum theories at the fundamental level. Einstein's theory isn't. So we, we're sure that there should be something better, but we have no experimental evidence. We have no signpost. We have no understanding of really how to do it. So, so theoretically we do. Uh, string theory is an attempt to do that. Um, and there are other theories that attempt to do it. But as yet, not because, for one reason, because Einstein's theory has not done, predicted anything other than correct answers, it's very difficult to know what to do.
I gather that part of the problem is trying to meld Einstein's theory, which operates on very large scales, uh, with the quantum theory, which is very small scale. Uh, I mean, basically, a quantum theory of gravity, you might say, well, um, is that it would require, or some of the theories say, well, is there a smallest piece of space and time? Right, is space and time quantized? Hmm. Is, it, is it chops up into little bits? And um, th there's some evidence, maybe it is, that there's, there's some uh, the physics of black holes, some calculations to do with black holes that do this and, and relate the amount of information you can store in black holes to, to things like the surface area and the temperature. So, so there's, there's kind of theoretical movement there. Um, but the problem, as I say, from an experimental perspective, is that none of these theories have predicted anything that can be tested. And the theory that we have uh, has had every prediction validated to the end decimal place. So it's difficult to make progress without some observation that contradicts Einstein and shows you where to go. Hmm. So the interesting question then, uh, getting back to how the universe will end, given that there's all this gravity pulling the universe together, what's pushing it apart? Uh, good question. Uh, the answer is dark energy, hmm. and that's where our knowledge of it stops. <laughs> okay. I've given you all the information that I've got on that. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's very strange. It's, um, it's uh, something like 70% of the energy in the universe, it, hmm. we think, is, is seems to be taken up in doing this, in driving everything apart, or stretching space-time very rapidly. Well, not very rapidly, actually. It's actually a very small effect, but over the hmm. big distances it adds up. Um, and uh, we don't know why. Um, we've really... Uh, very speculative ideas, but there's nothing that anyone really agrees on. There's no consensus about it at all. So it's one of the great mysteries. Hmm. Space is stretching, and it, and it always has been. I mean, that's standard cosmology. Hmm. The Big Bang, space has been, space-time has been stretching. But um, the problem is that it's accelerating. And if you think about it, just if you have a Big Bang that throws everything, that, you know, is the initial impulse for the stretch, essentially, then, then it's full, the space is full of energy and matter. That's all attracted to each other by gravity, and that should at least slow it down, at least. And we thought it maybe even stop it and recollapse it. But that's not what's happening. It's uh, all accelerating away. So hmm. Space is stretching at an increasing rate. So uh, I'm curious, what are the big problems for particle physics and cosmologists uh, right now? Um, the big, very exciting problem for particle physics is um, is the origin of mass hmm. in the universe. So one of the theories for that is the Higgs theory, the Higgs particle. This uh, particle or particles that have been predicted, uh, which and, and so that's a mechanism. They're really a. I suppose uh, as a symptom almost of a, of a mechanism that's proposed for how particles get mass in the universe. And uh, there's some hints that we may be seeing those at CERN in Geneva, actually. You've mm -hmm. seen the uh, stories this week. It, you know, for the first time, uh, this is, these are not just rumors, they're, they're real results. They're, they're not at the statistical level yet. They're not significant enough to, to claim that it's been discovered. But they're certainly suggestive. Um, they could go away but there, there really is a hint of a signal there, I think. So we should know, actually, within, you know, conservatively a year, but possibly six months, or whether that's real, oh, wow. whether we've discovered it. But, you know, there's, there's money on it for the first time. I mean, <laughs> you might have heard loads of rumours, but this is interesting. Wow. The Higgs at the energy levels that have been predicted, or are they much higher? Yeah, no, this one is, um, if, it's, if this one is, correct if this signal is real then it's about 140 times the mass of the proton and that's uh, just about where you'd expect it perhaps a bit heavier but within the within the expected window 
Oh, wow. Um, well, see, uh, we are running slightly out of time. I, I'm curious. Uh, so you've actually had a bit of an interesting history um, uh, in terms of getting into the field. Uh, you uh, apparently were originally a keyboardist with the uh, British band. How did you go from that to becoming a physicist? Well, I'd always been a physicist in some sense. I mean, I, I'd always been interested in astronomy, uh, space exploration, uh, you know, from way back. And, and I just got a, bit, a little bit distracted when I was about 15 or 16 and wanted to be a pop star. <laughs> so I took a bit of time out and <laughs> was a pop star for a while. And then, um, yeah, but I'm, uh, I'm, I went back after about five years and uh, went back to physics. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Cox, I want to thank you very much for a very fascinating interview and uh, talking about the uh, new book, Wonders of the Universe. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And you were just listening to Professor Brian Cox discuss Wonders of the Universe. This is the Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes is the Grokatron 5000, so stay tuned. It's time to play our game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, Wonder of the Universe or Not? So, for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they are a wonder of the universe or not, and uh, maybe a little reason why. Uh, Dr. Cox, ready to play the game? Yeah. Okay, person number one, wonder of the universe or not, uh, the television host Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell, he's an economic wonder of the universe. He's generated vast amounts of cash and been very successful. So he's a successful industrialist. <laughs> Seems to be very good at that. Uh, number two, David Beckham. David Beckham, um, yeah, in terms of crossing a football, I don't think there's anyone been better. So I would say he is a wonder of the universe. I also, actually, I, I, uh, a very nice man. I, I saw him on a chat show um, uh, recently. I was at the recording of it, and he was a tremendously nice man. So, yeah. I think he is. He's a good guy. All right. Uh, number three, it's uh, evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins. I know Richard, so I'm, I have to declare an interest there. Um, <laughs> I actually, uh, I, 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 I like Richard a lot. I don't share, I, I share his um, uh, views in a sense. I, I, I don't share his absolute raging antagonism 
towards everybody who believes in anything other than science. <laughs> I'm a bit more gentle uh, than, than Richard, but uh, I can imagine that if you are an evolutionary biologist and people keep telling you the world is 6,000 years old, then you do go over the edge at some point. <laughs> no one's done it with particle physicists yet because they don't really know what we're doing. I think it's too complicated for them to understand that we are actually saying the universe is 13.73 plus or minus 0.12 billion years old, but they haven't cottoned on yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, number four is Queen guitarist Brian May. Well, I also know Brian May, so there you go. <laughs> and he is surely a wonder of the universe. I met him recently, and um, that we had a, an anniversary of the, the 700th edition of a television program called The Sky at Night, presented by Sir Patrick Moore. Mm -hmm. It's a British institution. Can you imagine 700 editions of this wow. thing? It's been going for, and, and there's one every lunar month. So it's wow. been going on for over 50 years, uh, uh, and uh, Brian and I were both on that program, and he is a tremendous guy. And I think the most amazing thing about Brian May is, so he started his PhD, then he joined Queen, was one of the biggest rock stars in history, and then went back and finished his PhD a few years ago. Wow. So he finished his PhD in a, it's about the zodiacal light, the dust, <laughs> and the plane of the solar system. So there you go. <laughs> so he is a wonder, yeah. All right. Uh, and finally, number five, it's uh, the Prime Minister of the UK, David Cameron. Well, David Cameron um, has the ability to be a wonder of the universe if he pledges to make Britain the best place in the world to do science and engineering. Uh. That's the challenge. So the jury's still out yet. If, if, <laughs> if, if he makes, uh, invests in science, invests in research, and, and puts science at the top of the political agenda, then I would allow him to have the accolade of wonder of the universe. Well, let's see. <laughs> All right. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Professor Cox, I want to thank you very much for sticking around playing your game and, again, talking about uh, the new book, Wonders of the Universe. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Well, this is Rock Science Show. I've been Charles Lee. And I'm Elise. And we'll be back into more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to see us, you can do so on the web, www.rocks.net, or email science at rocks.net. We are on Facebook and Twitter. Have a great afternoon.